In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. The Lord sits outside of time and space before creation. And before any matter was made, the Lord perceived in a moment all of creation and all of human history. And despite his knowledge that we would turn to sin and death, he created us and found us good. And when it was uh, the time, the right time and fulfillment, he came into creation and came into time and space and remade us, restored us to that proper image and opened for us the way to salvation. In the time of Genesis, the Lord creates all things. He makes them good and uh, he sets the world in the right order. And he sets a man and woman inside of the garden in this paradise in which uh, mankind was meant to dwell. And the serpent uh, comes and tempts them uh, to be like God, that they could turn and be like God by uh, disavowing God's will. And so that was the temptation, that they could have the knowledge of God, and they sought that through uh, the lie of the serpent. Mankind is uh, rejected and left outside of paradise, uh, moved away from everlasting life in uh, paradise, and uh, eventually as uh, mankind grows and populates the earth, we fall again into immense sin. And this is the period uh, where Noah is uh, taking him and his uh, sons and their wives into the ark, and they are uh, rescued by the Lord, and the Lord cleanses the face of the earth. Noah and his sons and their wives come out, and they repopulate the earth. And at the point of repopulation is where we see this story of Babel, the Tower of Babel. Uh, Mankind is one at this point. Their language is one. Their culture is one. And their technology increases. Technology increases to the point where they're able to build this incredible tower. And they do it, we read in Genesis, so that they could make a name for themselves. So that they could make a name for themselves. It was uh, their own pride, the focus on themselves, that led them to this building. And it's very important that we stop and we see the role that technology plays here. uh, Because uh, our culture tells us a lie that somehow technology is a good thing. Technology is neither good nor bad. Technology is a brick. Bricks are neither good nor bad. A brick can be used to break a window or it can be used to build a hospital. It's the people and their intentions that make a thing good or bad. And so in the Tower of Babel, it is their use of technology for themselves, for their own devices, and to build a name for themselves. And that is what the Lord uh, is going to uh, quash, and he is going to uh, separate them. He realizes that uh, with this kind of technology, with this kind of advancement, and uh, doing it out of sin and pride, that they will lead themselves to certain destruction. And so he confuses them and spreads them across the earth. The Lord's purpose is not to punish. His purpose is to keep them from the horrors of their own devices. As we know, technology can uh, cure disease or it can create it. Technology can build a city or in an instant it can destroy it. And so uh, the people were kept from this kind of destructive, self-serving capacity. The Lord uh, comes into creation. He comes into creation at this perfect moment uh, in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And his purpose now is to introduce to us the purpose of doing things according to God's will. 
Jesus introduces to us the idea of not serving our own name, not bringing fame to ourselves, but bringing a name to God and serving the name of God. And he tells us this several different ways here in the upper room in chapter 14 of St. John's Gospel. What does he do? He's, he's shown us again and again as we've talked throughout Easter, this figure eight of understanding, where the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the believer. The believer is in the Son, as the Son is in the Father. And so we're given to understand that the same way in which the Son is in the Father is the way that we are supposed to be in Christ. And that is by uh, submitting ourselves in love. This is what Jesus does to be in unity with the Father. He submits himself to the Father. He submits himself to the will of the Father. You can see what Jesus says. Though he is God, he says, "Um, I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So here is God himself, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is saying, I'm not doing these things on my authority by my name. I'm doing them in the authority of the Father, in the uh, name of the Father. And so Jesus shows us how it is that if we live and act in humility and in love, according to the will of the Father, now we're living and acting in his name. And he shows us that uh, when we are um, acting in his name, we will be acting out of love according to the commandments. Sometimes we get a strange idea about what it is that Jesus says here. First of all, um, the first thing that people get confused about is Jesus saying, uh, anything you ask in my name. Uh, People don't read the verses that come before it, and they don't read the verses after it. And so they think, if I ask for anything that I just want or that I've been dreaming about, and I ask it in the name of Jesus, somehow miraculously I'm going to get it. This isn't the message at all. The point is that if we are in the will of the Father, if we are perceiving the will of the Father, if we're living according to His will, this is what it means to um, ask in the name of Jesus. It's not that uh, his name is some kind of a miracle token that we use. If I just say these are the things that I want and I put Jesus' name on the end of it. Uh, Indeed, we are ambassadors to the Father. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes to another country on behalf of a king or a a leader and says, uh, this is what our country intends. This is the the plan of our country. And a good ambassador knows uh, the will of their leadership. They know exactly what the goals are that they're trying to accomplish. For us to be good ambassadors, for us to act and live in the name of our Lord, we have to know his will. We have to know his goals to be in unity with the Father father in order to move forward the other thing that we um that we get confused about this is um this idea that um we get we get this idea that somehow that belief is an idea the belief is just an idea And the problem with this is that uh, somehow we think that we can have ideas or we can say things that are somehow um, alone by themselves, that it's not about the way that we live our lives or the way that we act. And so we've been taught this lie that somehow if we believe a certain thing, if we have an idea in our heads, that that's what's important rather than the way that we live our lives. And the truth of the matter is what really counts is what we do. Jesus tells us this over and over again in the parables, right? You remember the parable of the two sons, the one who said he was going to do it, and then the one who did it? Jesus is saying the way that we live our lives is how we believe in him. Belief is the way that we live. 
When I started my ministry, uh, I was uh, newly ordained to the diaconate and uh, was put in charge of two missions and was sitting in my office really wondering what I was supposed to be doing there. Uh, I didn't have much idea about how I was supposed to go about my daily uh, business. And uh, I had a, an elderly man come in that was one of the founders of the church there. His name was Corby Dale. And Corby had done so much for the founding of this mission, he wanted to make sure that this new deacon that they had just sent in and put in charge knew something about ministry. And so he sat down. The first thing he asked me is, what do you think about the tithe? And I said, well, I think the tithe is very important. He says, it's a little bit more than that. It's more than important. He says, it's not so much uh, what it is that it does for the church and for the funding of the church. He says, it'll tell you something about how it is that a person is living their lives. He said, if you want to know something about a person, all you've got to do is open their checkbook. When you open their checkbook, you're going to see their priorities. I would say the same thing about your daily planners and calendars. The way that we organize our day and the way that we prioritize our lives is an indication of what it is that we really believe. We can say a lot about what we say about belief, but our calendars and our checkbooks really tell the story about where our priority is and how it is that we're living according to God's commandments and whether we're living in love. Because the love that God talks about is not some heartfelt, warming, puppy dog love. The love that he's talking about is self-sacrifice. And so how much of our calendars and how much of our checkbooks are being used in the service of God and of our neighbor? How much of our calendars and our checkbooks show our love and our keeping of the commandments of God, are in service of God and our neighbor? What Jesus is teaching us here is that uh, if we are in unity with God and unity according to his will then we'll be acting in love according to his commandments and finally the apostles understood that enough so that after he dies which is just the next day from where he's teaching here in Acts 14 and when he rises again to newness of life and then he preaches for those 40 days, the apostles finally understand, oh, we're supposed to be in unity with God according to his will and in unity with one another. So that for those 11 days we read, between the ascension and between Pentecost, they are in unity, praying in one accord. And that's what we have been trying to practice, I hope, in these last 11 days. We've been trying to practice praying with one accord according to God's will. I think we're assured of two things. If we are praying in disunity, if we're divided in our prayer, in this community, if we're divided in our priorities, if we're not listening to the Lord, we'll bring about division. There will be division in our midst. But if we're united... If we come together and we all perceive and we all submit in unity to the will of the Father, then the windows of heaven will be opened and profound miracles will take place in our midst. Sometimes we want to read the fact that they were praying in unity and the coming of the Holy Spirit were somehow two separate things. It doesn't say they were doing 
uh, having lunch and going shopping, and then the Holy Spirit came. They were in unity in prayer, together, with one another, when the Holy Spirit came. And so they had been united enough in the gospel of the Lord that they were able to have those windows of heaven opened and for the Holy Spirit to come and to reverse, to reverse the curse of Babel. So where the Lord had divided them, now that they're in unity and the will of God for His name, not for their name like they were in Babel, for the name of the Lord, once they're united in the name of the Lord according to His will, the Holy Spirit is able to act in their midst and speaks in the language of all those that are gathered. Now, speaking in tongues and prophecy are very important things and they're very powerful tools, but they are tools. They are tools. Jesus says, you can say, I've been prophesying in your name and I have been speaking in languages and healing and doing miracles and he'll say, I never knew you. How can that happen? Because what we have to do is we have to be at unity with one another and with the Father and His will. And these are tools, prophecy and speaking of tongues, that are not taking place in heaven. There's no need for them. They go away. These are tools to bring about unity and submission to the will of the Father in love in order to do His will and follow His commandments. And so the Holy Spirit reverses Babel and He gives them unity and they're able to proclaim the gospel in fulfillment. But sometimes we think that it needs to stop there, but the Lord didn't do that just to, to proclaim His name. He didn't do it just for them to worship. He didn't do it just for that, that unity of that moment. He did it so that the, the lives of those that are there, those that heard, would be transformed, and so the fruit of the gospel would come forth. We're supposed to be bearing fruit. If you remember, they're here on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is, is Greek for the Hellenized Jews. It means the 50th. In ancient Israel, the name of the feast is Shavuot. It's the feast of, of weeks. The week of weeks, because that's what we've just counted. We've counted a week of weeks, right? It's been 49 days, 7 times 7 since the Passover. And so seven times seven, this fulfillment, the week of weeks has come, and this is an ancient feast for the Jews. They're celebrating the first barley harvest. So this is the first harvest of the Holy Spirit, where the Lord says His harvest will come forth, and it's the writing of the law. It's the celebration of the giving of the law to Moses in that cloud of appearing where the Lord appears to Moses and he joins in that same cloud that we see Jesus ascending to at the ascension. And the purpose is to bring about a harvest according to the law. So what kind of harvest is supposed to be coming out of our midst when the law is written upon our hearts? When the Lord writes the law upon our hearts, what is the harvest that the Lord desires to have? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May our prayer be in such unity and humble devotion to God that the windows of heaven are opened and our hearts and minds are transformed so that our lives bear fruit that is according to the word of God with love at its head.